The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Hi, welcome back to the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kavnett. It's Friday and the final day of my series of conversations with Marcus Collins, author of For the Culture, the power behind what we buy, what we do, and who we wanna be. Now you may have noticed that corporations have a lot of information on you these days. You do a search for a pair of shorts, let's say, and the next thing you know, your social media feed is full of ads for shorts. The fact that you did that search and the trail connecting it to your social accounts, all that data is for sale to the highest bidder. It's an open question as to whether this system is better or worse than the old way, where, as one example, companies would just blanket the airwaves of a popular TV show, hoping that a significant portion of people who watch Seinfeld are also in the market for cat food. But in any case, Marcus Collins thinks there's still a lot of room for improvement. We have more information than ever before, yet we still struggle to understand consumers. That's because we mistake information for intimacy. We live in a hyper-connected world where there's more data collected than ever before. Every Google search, every credit card swipe, every authored tweet leaves behind a breadcrumb of information that amounts to reams and reams of data in aggregate. However, though the amount of data available to marketers have increased exponentially over time, our ability to extract insight from said data has only marginally increased. This paradox amounts to a simple yet significant oversight on behalf of most marketers. We mistake information for intimacy. We have a ton of information, but not much intimacy. Take LinkedIn, for example. Before an important meeting, you'll likely go to LinkedIn to learn about the person you'll be speaking with. However, you don't get to know the person until you've interacted with them exchanged ideas, or observed their mannerisms. These details are only reserved once you move beyond the statistical details of that person. To know people requires intimacy, a closeness that traditional data metrics will never provide. We know this intuitively. However, when we get in the boardroom, we take off our human hat in exchange for our marketing hat and leave our humanity at the door. It's time that we got more human. Site traffic, engagement across social networking platforms, purchases, and search queries can reveal quite a bit about consumers' interests, preferences, and desires. That's a good thing. Yet, despite having all this information, marketers still struggle to understand their customers, to understand people. How can this be? It's because search history, purchase history, and site traffic are not who people are. They're merely what people do. To understand who people are, we have to get much closer. We have to get intimate. It's sort of like flying over New York City. You fly over New York City, you can see the relationships between different parts of the city. You can see the patterns. Oh, here is Central Park. Here's Times Square. Here's Meatpacking. And here's the Financial District. But you don't know the city until you walk the streets. You don't know the city until you talk to people. You don't know the city until you know how the city moves. It's train system. And what is the system that moves people? Culture. We don't know people until we know their cultural subscription. The beliefs that shape the way they see the world, the artifacts that have meaning, the behaviors that are normative, and the language that they use. To understand this requires great proximity, tremendous, tremendous intimacy. And information alone won't get us there. 
This is really interesting. And I have to admit, I didn't really understand what you meant at first, but as I, as I read deeper into the book, you gave me some good examples. So I got my head around it because it seems that what else do we have, but information? I mean, that's the only way we can approach understanding other people, right? What, what information we have from them. But I think as you gave some examples, I started to see, oh no, you're not talking about just like just collecting data. You're talking about like really spending time getting to know a tribe, a community, talking to people, actually intimacy, actually one-to-one human interactions. And that's something that I think in this data obsessed age, we can forget to do. That's right. I mean, we live in a world where we have more data than ever before, like reams and reams and reams and reams of data. The acquisition of data has increased exponentially, but yet our ability to extract meaning, insight from said data has only grown marginally, right? We're not closer now that we have more information, right? Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not, right? Um, you know, if I'm, if I have a, an interview, if I'm meeting with someone, I may jump on LinkedIn right quick to see, you know, where they went to school and people they might know and where they work. And with, with the full sense of like, I know them now, but right. you don't know them until you talk to them. You don't know them until you interact with them. And, you know, we see marketers today, leaders, business leaders, you know, saying we don't know our customer well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because we mistake information for intimacy. We think because I have information on them that I know them. And those mm-hmm. two things are just not analogous, right? Like demographics is a way of knowing your customer, but you don't know them, mm-hmm. right? You don't know that they love the monkeys in a tribe called Quest until you talk to them. Right. You have to get closer. And how do you do this? Is it becoming a more common thing to do? I know a few years ago I was working for a major media company and they they did a lot of focus groups and things to try to understand their audience. And then they did at some point, and maybe this is common practice, I'd never heard of it before. They identified one guy who had been in one of the focus groups or something, and they just said, This guy is our guy. He's he's our target audience. And we're going to go deep with him. And they ended up having, you know, some someone really spend time getting to know this guy, what what kind of car he drove, what what he had in his house, who he dated, um, and really try to do this detailed report on this individual with the idea that this would teach us something about how to how to market to others. Yeah. Is that a thing that people do? Yeah. I mean, marketers, we usually we as the royal we mm-hmm. we usually uh use personas in that way here's right. tiffany's tiffany's 22 years old she lives in right. chicago and she she works in a tech company and she likes to hang out with her friends and and watch netflix well the thing is that that might be a good description of tiffany but tiffany is not an individual agent like she's a part of a system called society oh, called community yeah. called culture and therefore she is influenced by people around her i mean if you look at the practice of marketing marketing was the uh sort of the practice of economic theory so okay. economic theory was the way people thought about consumer insights and marketing was the practice thereof mm-hmm. and then marketers say well what if we use psychology to better understand people so we started using psychology to better understand people mm-hmm. then marketers said but yeah that's only individuals though like people act differently with different people. So we need Mm -hmm. to be looking at sociology, right? How they act in these different groups. Oh, great. So we look at them in different groups in different contexts. Well, what governs how those groups act? Culture, Mm -hmm. which is why in the 1990s, you saw this massive boom of study in the field that I'm in called consumer culture theory, looking at the influence that culture has on people. So going deep on one person might be a nice way to sort of illustrate an archetype of who these people Mm -hmm. might be. But these people don't act as solo actors. They are part of a social institution that governs their their behavior. So we need to look at people in that context. So 
savvy marketers, we use ethnographies. Mm -hmm. right? Instead of using focus groups where we relying heavily on self-reported data, in this case, as ethnographers, you know, we are the research instrument that we implant ourselves in the cultural contexts and the neutral environments where okay. we find these people and we help extract meaning from what we observe. And like the best people to do this are comedians. They're just uh, phenomenal at this. Uh, I mean, they watch people and go, that was odd. They go, uh, hmm, that, that was interesting. She does it and he does it and they do it. Okay, this is a thing. Right. And instead of just placing judgment on it, like, oh, they crazy, mm -hmm. they go, why is this happening? <laughs> so then they go apply theory to it. I mean, they won't call it theory, but they go find a way to explain what is the underlying physics right. that is informing this behavior. And then they find a way to tell it slant, as Emily Dickens put it, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Right. So when they get on stage, they go, you guys ever notice every time you go to the mall, you do X, Y, and Z? We right. go, oh, that's so me. I totally do that. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Of course you do. Because their intimacy, their intimacy to the group of people they've observed, to this uh -huh. community of people, it's so acute. It's so nuanced. They understand all the idiosyncratic tweaks or, uh, uh -huh. that, that, that are part of the community that you feel like you've been seen. And you go, oh, man, they get me. They get me. And oh, when marketers God. do that. People feel like that's a brand right. for me. So marketers got to think more like stand-up comedians. I like that insight. That's gotta a good do idea. It. You got to do it. And it requires just tons of empathy. Taking off yeah. your lenses to see the world through the lens of someone else. In your book, you talk about netnographic research. Am I saying that right? What is, what is netnographic right. research? So this is a research methodology that was coined by a gentleman named Rob Kozinets. And a netnographic uh, study is an ethnography just done online. So instead okay. of putting myself in the physical environment of the people that I'm studying, I observe their behavior unobtrusively on social networking platforms. Like, so like majority of my research as an academic is netnographic in nature. So mm -hmm. I use Reddit. I'm a huge Reddit mm -hmm. fan mm -hmm. uh, because Reddit is a community of communities where mm -hmm. I can observe people within their community uh, behave. And the beautiful part about Reddit, um, this is not a sale for Reddit, but it is amazing, mm -hmm. um, that they have moderators mm -hmm. and they have people who who literally clean the data for you mm -hmm. that when people post things that are outside the cultural characteristics of the community, those posts get removed. And over time, those people get removed. So as a researcher, I'm seeing the most distilled uh, manifestation of this community in a way I can observe them unobtrusively, which is unbelievably powerful. My doctoral work used all Reddit data. Oh, interesting. And can you offer any examples of marketing campaigns that have successfully achieve the kind of intimacy you're describing, whether it's through netnographic or ethnographic research and, and really built something valuable out of that? Sure. The turnaround of McDonald's is testament of this. McDonald's just five years ago was one of the most hated brands. It was the, the punching brag of everything wrong with the American diet. Uh, but with McDonald's, I said, why can New York, uh, we went to go observe fans. Like, who are these people that despite the vitriol, they're still, they still uh, ascribe their identity to this, to this brand mm -hmm. and use this brand to communicate who, who they are. And so we did a road trip from Chicago all the way through the heartland of, of the country to talk to real life human beings. Mm -hmm. And out of that, we saw fan truths. These are these undeniable truths I mean, people who normally are strangers, but they commit to the same consumption behavior. And as a result, there are conventions and expectations that govern what it means to be a part of them. And we mm -hmm. took those fan truths and use them to inform the marketing campaigns, be it uh, famous orders campaign, be it menu hacks, uh, be it the, you know, more recently the adult happy meal, right? These things all 
birthed out of close proximity to these these fans, not consumers, not these not machines who eat messages and crap cash, but mm-hmm. real life human beings who abide by the conventions and expectations that govern what people like them do. Well, finally, I have to ask, because I think by law now, every podcast interview has to include a discussion of artificial intelligence. Uh, I'm wondering if technology can help us achieve any of what you're describing in terms of intimacy as ads get more and more targeted. You know, they don't need to be broadcast to me on TV. They're already following me on social media. And so they are kind of tracking what I've, what I've clicked on and what I've liked. And I'm can imagine a future where that sort of data is even more complete and I could get custom made artificially intelligent ads delivered to me, just to me, like, you know, no one else is going to see that version of the ad because, because this system knows me so well. I don't know if that's a scary Orwellian future or maybe an ideal one because I'm like, well, they, they get me. Well, they mean to, they're, to, they're, there's good and bad to, to many things, mm-hmm. right? So the technology will help us deploy better, but to get to the nuances that requires humanity. So that, that part kind of keeps me optimistic. The machines will never be able to get as intimate as, as you have with your McDonald's fans. and the, That's right. Yeah. Human conversation. There's still going to be a place for it, I hope. It still matters. Well, Marcus, thank you very much for coming on our show. It was great talking to you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this chat with Marcus Collins. And if you'd like to explore his ideas further, go on out and get a copy of his book, For the Culture, The Power Behind What We Buy, What We Do, and Who We Want to Be. If you'd like to stay connected with this podcast, sign up for our newsletter using the link in the episode notes. Every Friday, we'll send you a summary of that week's episodes, useful links, and the opportunity to easily give us feedback and ask questions. Come back next week when I'll be talking with Shelby Stanger, author of Will to Wild, Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life. This week's episodes were written and produced by me, Michael Kovnat, sound designed by Mike Toda. The Next Big Idea Daily is a proud member of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. See you Monday.